If you're new, we've been in a series, you'll notice it, and it's on the screen as well, Relationships That Matter. But you notice the title of today's uh, piece on relationships, a, rel- a Relational Legacy of a Parent. Now, here's the challenge. This isn't about money. This isn't about the stuff that we leave behind. This is about a spiritual legacy that we want to leave our kids. But the challenge, it is not simple. I I wish I could say that it is, but I I read a blog here this week on some of the issues here. Let me just put some quotes on the screen. The the first is, a 16-year-old boy comes to a speaker with this startling confession, I can't stand my parents, I hate my dad, I wish he was dead. In fact, I tried to kill, dot, dot, dot. A profoundly hurtful legacy. Let me give you another one. A 19-year-old co-ed on a Christian college campus comes to a speaker to ask for help. Her problem? The past six years, her father has been involved with her sexually. Her father is supposedly a leader in the Lord's church. A legacy of shame, of hurt, confusion. A legacy that impacts the soul for almost ever of that young girl. One more, an adolescent between ages 9 and 14, a resident in a children's home in California, writes a nighttime prayer for sinners wherein she prays, I admit I am very sinful. I had a hard time with the family. Now I have no family. I was starved when I was little. There's three things that all of those had in common. One is deep issues with the parent-child relationship. The second, they were all true. And the third was this, they all centered around a Christian home. Examples that our relationships with our children are complex, they're not easy, and it impacts it for a lifetime. And I think this, the church has to maybe get more serious of what it has to do in terms of blazing a difference in families and make a difference in families. Families are struggling all around us in this world. But for today, for today, it's really not a parenting sermon. Understand this. My goal is to stir today and to stir you to look and dig a little bit more, dig in the scripture and read more on the topic. And, you know, I think even as I watched the video of a men's DNA group, it's open on Fridays. The, the title of it was Fathers of Grace. And as I watched that on Friday, it was so relevant to today's topic. Even the tomorrow night study for men, leading well, it functionally is about the family, men leading well within the family. You know, the ministry that my son is a part of and started, it's geared toward really stirring churches to be intentional toward Generation Z and the millennial generations. And and on his website, he has the the front page, he has some stats, and I want to put those on the screen here. 88 million young adults in America, that's kind of the 18 to early 30 age. Okay, 70% of them don't identify as Christians, and 92% are not engaged in in a local church. See, those stats reveal the relational legacy that exists within the church world of today. So today, 
stirring family relationships that just might lead to a bit of a different legacy from those numbers. But here's how I'm going to approach it. It's a wide topic. You could spend weeks on it. But I want to gear it more toward the parent-toward-the-child relationship. Now, we'll mention some other pieces to it, but generally that's where I need to go here today. But let me give you some just reminders to kick it off here. The first one is this. Good relationships do just, they do not automatically happen. See, one can conceive a child, but that has nothing to do whether you're going to have a good relationship with that child or not. You know, if I buy a grand piano, that will not make me a concert pianist. If you buy a plumber, that will not make you a master plumber. It's not automatic. But let me give you another issue. I think it's critical in the form of a question, where did we learn, where did you learn about what is the definition of a good parent-children relationship? Now here's where as you listen and dealing with this issue over the years and you listen closely, here's what, how some did this. I'm just going to do the exact opposite as what my parents did. The exact opposite. And some live in the cliche world of parenting. Have you ever, I've actually heard parents say this. My motto is to spare the rod and spoil the child. Not spare the rod. And I go, Really, is that the sum of parenting and relationship for you? Others say this, children are meant to be seen and not heard. And I go, that's really stupid. That just doesn't work at all. See, the question, where do we learn about this a relationship between parents and children? You know, it is a challenge. And even as we look at the scriptures, realize it's sprinkled all over there. You know, it wouldn't have been easier if you would have had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the the letter to the parents. That would have been an easier way to go. But how do we get to this place where we understand what is a healthy relationship? But let me as well kind of push this even for young people. What do you define it in terms of your relationships with your moms and dads? What does it mean to you? Have you ever wrestled with that? What does a good one actually look like? Now, now here's where I, I got to go down another little alley here. At what age can you begin to declare that I have a decent or good relationship with my kids? So here's where I need to break a bubble for you that are younger parents you will not have really any idea as to what the relationship will be like until they get to a place developmentally where there is a different cry of their heart than just try, for them just trying to please you. And it's, this is the place, is when a child emotionally begins to ask, the, ask mom and dad, would you release me? Would you let me grow up? Would you let me have my own identity? That is the first time, really, that you're going to have an inkling as to what type of a relationship you're going to have with them. It, it just is. Emotionally, you know, you have a lot of compliant kids when you're in elementary school. 
and younger grades in that way. But the stats, how many parents from Christians' home have thought up where they're going to end up when their kids leave home? And I'll tell you, over the years, I don't know how many parents, they look and they see their kids leave home and they walk away from the faith and those stats that I'd put on there, and there is deep disappointment. So today, it's just stirring. Again, my hope is that you'll dig more. There's lots of resources out there. Uh, there's lots of things that are written. But what I want to do is just give you four critical issues that I think are vital to healthy relationships with our children. The first one is this, number one. We need to unfold discipleship into the relationship with our children. Now, I know I've been beating this drum for a number of years here, the idea that parents are called to disciple their children. But let me point you back to Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This was the mission of 11 men as Jesus gave this to them, and then he goes to be with his father. And I think some tend to think they look at this command and go, this really isn't about the Christian home, the Christian family. It's the church's role to do this. But here, let me just pull out a couple parts to this commission. As you're going, I don't know if you know that, but that going means as you're going, well, that going aspect, I believe this, we are called to help our children go. And not just to live a happy life, it's going with an intentional attitude of them becoming followers of Christ, where they are turning around and helping somebody else become a follower of Christ. See, this is more than just bringing kids to church, and that's what I was taught. Just bring your kids to church and discipleship will happen. Learn a few verses. And I go, no, it's more than that. Can my child look at somebody else and begin to walk with somebody else and bringing them to farther down the line in their faith? That's going. Now, now one aspect of this, those stats where you go 8% are connected to a church, If you were to ask, throw out the question, how many of those 8% are actually discipling other people? My hunch is that they would drop dramatically at that point. The baptism, baptize, teaching, we are called not only to go, but to baptize. What's the baptism all about? Functionally, it's this. It's an ordinance. Yes, we believe that. It's an identification with Jesus. It's helping our kids put a ring on the finger where this is symbolic in one sense about their relationship with Christ in a way that says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be intimate with you. And I'm going to identify Jesus is my Savior. And our child, children stand up and that's going to be important in their lives. And then teaching to obey. What's that all about? It's a lifestyle. I think where we default to, it's teaching them to obey the Ten Commandments. It's way more than that. This is about Jesus, understand, teaching that Jesus told Peter, I'm going to build my church and you're going to be a part of it, but what part? that's also a part of discipleship. 
bringing our children to a place where they're also working for the church and for the kingdom to build that in our culture on this earth. It's a part of obedience even to be used in that aspect. So why would not a church family have this as a foundation in the parenting world? You know, for years again, growing up, my parents equated discipleship as bringing my kids to church, bringing us to church, getting involved with Bible verses, and we did quizzing, and and it was kind of like, okay, now you have done that. Be a nice Christian kid. But in terms of their teaching us to become influencers within the body and within the kingdom, no, it just wasn't there. I, I have a study group with this series, I put together a few guys and we meet together uh, kind of every other week and I've been bouncing some ideas off them. So we met on Monday night and I threw out a bit of a survey to them as we began the night. And I'm going to put that on the screen. I asked them a question as you look back at your family. What was the emphasis of your family, especially if you grew up in a church. And I gave them four, kind of the rate it. Number one, the most important. Two, number four, the least important. Your parents wanted you to have a successful life, financially, education, job. They wanted you to act right and come under their authority. Or they wanted you to be a nice, good, moral Christian. And oh, by the way, attend a nice Christian church. And the last one, they wanted you to be a follower of Christ that would make a difference intentionally discipling other people. See, if you were to rate those as the most important things in terms of your growing up experience, what would you put? Not one of us, we had five there that night, not one of us put that last one as the most important thing in our family. Do you see, we got a ways to go. Here's a suggestion, a question for you. I challenge you to wrestle with this as a family or maybe even as a couple. Here's the question. What would it mean for our family to fully engage with the Great Commission? It'd be a hard one. But I think we need to begin to talk about it as a family. Let me keep going. Number two, another second point here. Parents, make it easy for children to respect and honor when parents do that, to make it a platform where honor and respect from the kids to the parents is easy, man, it works so much better. But let me show you a passage here. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. First, you notice that it begins with the child-to-the-parent relationship. And children of parents are called to honor, and there's a type of submission that they are called to give to their parents. Now, the qualifier there is in the Lord. If I were talking to the kids, the younger kids, I would say this. As you walk with Christ, he wants to change your heart where you will automatically honor and submit to your moms and dads. But it's because of Christ. It's because of your relationship with Christ. And it's an overflow of your heart. 
So it's not just rote respect. It's not rote obedience. You're actually, and when you do that, you actually will be honoring God. But catch the command given to the fathers. Uh, And this issue of anger. In an environment where anger can happen within a a family, I think men are a little bit more prone than women to set the stage for this. But I, I could say it like this, parents do not provoke your children to anger. Because it, 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 it intersects with the relational world and it shows how fragile the relationship is between children and parents when those kind of emotions are taking place. Now, are the emotions all, oftentimes justified? No. But oftentimes anger is an outburst because of something is going on in the relational world. But let me give you a couple things that can actually set a platform for anger to be instilled in a relationship. The first one, parents regularly speak at their children rather than with them. When you listen to dialogue between parents and children, especially when you talk about important conversations, oftentimes it is a one-way directive. I'm speaking at them versus with them. And I've been guilty a lot with my kids when they were younger. But it's this, we're telling them what to feel, what to think, how to act. Somebody talked to me here after the service in the first one, they came up and said, my parents just said, you got to just be quiet, don't say anything. That was the tone that was set in their family. The video that we watched on Friday morning talking about grace-filled fathering, it, it was very pointed. And it talked, in one sense, it inferred that children, if you can continually speak at them, the reaction is they put a wall up. They put a mask over their faces. And they begin to shut you out. And it happens particularly in middle school. That's when kind of really begins to happen most often. Do we catch that? What is the pattern of our communicating style? You know, when I, I've been doing youth ministry and college ministry for years and, and uh, the first years of my uh, getting hired, and I'd ask kids, I've been pushing this issue for a long time, and you ask children, even in some counseling even recently, uh, do they talk at you or with you? And the predominant majority of the time, the kids go, my, my parents speak at me not with me. And how do you figure that out? But let me give you another one here. Parents take little time for intentional, individual relationship building. You know, with the emotional nature of children, love is spelled T-I-M-E, time. And I think that's true whether you're four, whether you're 14, or whether you're 24. And parents, dads especially, it's so important in those middle school, high school years, young adult years. And if it doesn't happen, if the heart-to-heart bonds aren't happening, kids get to a point where they go, it's not worth trying. And they'll even can move to a place where I don't care anymore, at least on the outward level. See, 
do we take the time to individually relate to our kids? Here's a comment from the blog that that is with the opening, same opening blog. Look, a 17-year-old youth comes to your speaker with this pleading request. Can I please talk with you? My parents won't listen. My dad is an elder. He has time for everyone else, but he doesn't have time for me. He thinks I don't have anything I don't have anything worthwhile to say. And you go, ouch. Here's a challenge. I, I think as parents, when we come to, it comes to time, there's time on our terms, and then there's time on their terms. I, I think we invite them into our world on our timeline, but the question does it count? See, the, the challenge, is there time spent where respect and love can be going from a heart-to-heart connection? See, this is so much more than just obedience. But there's this place where we're learning to, that time actually is building the respect that a child can give toward a parent. And, and I've seen it. To be real frank with you, where uh, you know what, children come to a place where they go, I don't want to give you respect. They've shut it off completely, the relationship. You know, in the study meeting, we were wrestling with, okay, respect and honor, they're kind of heavy terms, and sometimes it doesn't really convey what does that really mean. Well, we're trying to rephrase it, and we came up with kind of a rephrase term of this. And I, I put it in your notes here. I, I said it this way, we must become a parent that's easy to like. I, I think that's it. If we verbally demand respect and honor, and they don't like us, we're in trouble. If our legacy is about control and you're demanding obedience and honor and they don't like us, they're going to pull away from us. Kids need to see something different. Humility, love. Now, does it mean that we let them do whatever they want? The answer is no, of course not. But if they truly like you, they're going to be actually more open to spend time with you. And as they older, they'll actually begin to initiate that. And they'll welcome that time together, even past 18. Demanding never works. Now, a caution here. Be careful that when I talk about this heart-to-heart relationship, you're not where it's just a buddy relationship. You've still got, still got to be the parent. Boundaries are still there that need to. That's really what love is. But the importance, especially as I wa- think of the video on Friday of dads needing to take the time, the individual time. Do you take your kids out somewhere individually, somewhere on a date? And as they get older, it becomes more and more important. One of the things I tried to do, uh, my daughter was able to go to college and online school in Brainerd area for the four years there. So she was at CLC for a couple of years. And when she was there, we had a standing date every Friday for lunch, if she could make it or if I could make it. 
So I'd go over to the college, I'd eat with her, we'd meet somewhere. Uh, She wasn't even living at home at the time. But it was a great time for us to hear what was going on in her world and to hear her heart. Dads, you got to be purposeful in this area. But let me move on. Number three, another one here, third one. Make spiritual instruction and teaching grounded in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we tend to kind of change the meaning and think this is a method. It's more and much more than a method. I want to read it for you. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You, now the you is the adult here. This is the adult population. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you, the adult today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. There's the child, the parent-to-child relationship. And shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's kind of a method to that there. But then here, you shall bind them on the sign on your hand. You catch that? It's for the parent. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And he shall write them on the doorposts of your door and your gates. See, parents, I, I think we default to this. The discipleship is informational teaching. You know, send them to Sunday school and been there, done that. And you go, no, it doesn't work. Teaching and influence here from Deuteronomy 6 starts with our relationship with God, with Christ. And do they see it? Do they see it? See, this is about a genuine faith that's moving more and more from hypocrisy. It's about not just talking the talk. It's really walking day by day and showing our faith. You know, as I pondered this, I haven't given Steve, and I won't do this, but I said, what if Steve went to the youth group and and he gave our youth a whole bunch of choices? And he said, what's most important for mom and dad? Is it money, hunting, home, children, security, work, God, pleasure, Vikings, whatever you want to put it? If I gave him a whole list, what would the order be for our children as they would put it in looking at our lives? What would they say? Would they come back and say this? My dad loves God above all else. Would that be the summary of it? Would that be cool if it was? You know, I've actually had kids say that my dad loves his job above all else. Or mom loves control above all else. See, this is about spiritual integrity and spiritual growth. And here's the hard part. We hold this up to our lives and we go, oh, we're failing. And it's discouraging. So let me say this. I don't believe that our kids are looking for perfection. I really don't. I just think they're looking for some consistency in the spiritual world. They know we're not perfect. And I think they want to listen. And I think even many times they really want to give grace deep down. But understand, one more nuance here before I move to the next one. 
sometimes we equate love and devotion as equaling serving the church or some other cause. And recognize that's not what I'm talking about. And I can't get into it, I understand. But I think of David and Solomon and Solomon's kids. Remember, David had a whole heart. Solomon, a half heart. And Solomon's kids, no heart. That was the spiritual legacy that was taking place. So we must wrestle with this. Of what's God doing in our lives. Let me keep going. Number four, the last one. Parents, we need to model forgiveness and humility. Just critical. I I want to put up a definition of forgiveness and just kind of widen it. Forgiveness is a commitment to restore broken or a disruptive relationship. It's letting go of the anger or hurt that has been caused and is a commitment to restoration. I really like it and I agree with it. It's a commitment to no longer hold an offense and it's moral liability against a person, but this can only happen when one person repents and the other extends forgiveness. The ultimate aim when you talk about forgiveness, when the sin occurs, is ultimately to build a relationship and give grace and build in such a way that the relationship can be restored. Now, it takes two parties to do it. I recognize that. But I believe that the vast majority of parents here in the Christian world, they work hard trying to forgive their children. I believe that. I really do. But I think there's a struggle that we leave out in this issue. And functionally, it's about the humility that we need in our lives to rebuild and really ultimately forgive See, the key is about going to our children and admitting our own stuff, our own sin. Yes, our our children are going to sin against us. It's going to happen. And we work hard to forgive. But it's when we sin against them do we just plant our feet and go, no, I can't admit You know, it might show that I'm weak. They might take advantage of it. See, the challenge, what do we do when we sin against them? You know, I've been asking a question for about 20 years in ministry right now of men, especially when you meet in men's group. And I've I've asked this question, parenting classes, the same thing. I'll ask the question, how many times do you remember your father coming to you And sitting down with you as a child and say, you know what, I was, that was sin against you. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And you know what the numbers have been for about 20 years? About one in 10 guys remember their dads coming to them. It's the exception, not the rule. Moms, it's a little bit higher the idea that we would go to our children and confess that when we sin against them and we would ask forgiveness. See, and I think it's actually more important as the kids get older 
And even when our kids are adult children. See, whenever God convicts us of something that we've done different, here's kind of the stance where I have, you know, in my 60s, my, my children are 40 and in their 30s. Even if I, there's times where I need to come back and go, if something pops up and God is confronting me of something, I need to be able to go back to them and say, you know, remember this? Would you forgive me? I, the challenge is we don't like admitting that stuff. We think the kids won't respect us for showing that weakness. And you go, the opposite is actually true. Humility and respecting becomes easier when we go to them. Now, let me show you an example. Ephesians 4.29, just to be more practical here. Here's a verse that we violate over and over and over again. So, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Do we catch how practical that verse is and how many times we violate that? And looking back, I go, how many times did I violate that with my kids? And we, we say it something like this. We blow it. I'm sorry. And here's where I'm going to push you. We've got to start getting rid of the word sorry. It doesn't go far enough. Sorry might mean, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way, that you misunderstood, you know, whatever's going on in our mind. Sorry becomes a, a word that just get, get on with it. Here's what we need to do. Andy, those words that I spoke to you, they were hurtful. They were sinful. Would you forgive me? Andy, I'm sorry. Do you feel the weight, the difference in the way we say that there? See, respect, humility, and repentance. Recognize as we do that, it all comes together. And even, understand this, it even intersects with where the age of the kids are at and their understanding as you go to them and ask for forgiveness. They're probably not going to remember it in their early childhood years. But let me give you a picture here. When my kids were young, and some of you know this, and dads or moms, they, you know how they can come up to you and they hug you and they say, Mommy, Mommy, or Daddy, Daddy, I love you. You know, when they're three, four years old and they, they hug your legs and you go, Is their love genuine? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the reality is when they're three and four, you can be stealing from their piggy bank and they're going to still love you. Do you know that? But all of a sudden, they start to interpret who you are, your character, who, what's going on in the relational world with them. And they're beginning to make judgments in a different way. So... A week ago, I was at some meetings where my son was at, and he just turned 40. And when we parted, he gave me a hug, and he said he loved me. But think of that adult person saying that, and and when he was two or three, saying, I love you. 
It is a vastly different place in the relationship. And here's why. He knows my junk at 40. He knows my weaknesses at 40. He interprets, probably more rightly than I do, the flaws in my life. And yet, he chooses to give me love and grace at that moment. Do you feel the weight of difference depending on where the kids are at? See, the challenge for us is our kids, do they want to love us? The answer is yes. And as they grow up, as they get older, they want to, I think deep down, if they're a follower of Christ, they're going to want to respect and give respect to mom and dad. But is it earned? Do they like us in that context? They know us. We have to admit it. And even when they get older, we, for us that are, okay, older, we have even older grandparents, we interpret their, what's going on in their lives, don't we? Let me give you, though, I've got to keep going. One bonus issue. Some of you aren't going to view this as a bonus issue. But here's how I put it. God calls us to honor for a lifetime. And I'll say it this way. As we age, make giving respect from our grown children become easier. Now, there's two parts to that. So, um, Deanna has a mother left. She has a responsibility to honor her mom still in doing so. But the question is, is she going to create an environment where it's easy to honor her? You understand, this is for us that are a little bit older. Is the environment and what we're doing in such a way that they're, it's easy to give us respect and honor? Because here's the deal. Older parents, and I'm talking my age and older, older parents can still exasperate their grown children. And as an adult, as adult children... The flip side of it is we have to recognize what it means to still give them honor and respect and what God calls us to. Do we know what, they, what it is? Let me put a couple passages on the screen. Let me show you. John 19, 25 to 27. Uh, 27, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mo- mother and his mother's sister, Mary of the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, who would have been John, okay, that would have been John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What did Jesus do? Jesus demonstrated the biblical command to children continue to honor your parents. He was taking care of his mother because he knew that he was going to go home to the father. He was taking care of her. Let me give you one more hard text from 1 Timothy 5. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them 
first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you have two directions here. And it's a challenge, I would say, these two directions in our culture. Probably could spend a whole hour on this. I recognize this. But we have to wrestle with this. What does it mean for me to honor my parents, those that are older than us? So if you're young, if you're in middle school, high school, whatever, you still have to wrestle with that and think about it years ahead. But then how about myself in terms of coming to a place where I'm also respecting my grown kids in such a way that creates, it makes it easy for them to like me, to honor them, to honor myself and Deanna. See, I, I think sometimes a, a older parents make it hard for kids to honor them. And I think the call in my life is to make it easy for my grandchildren and my children to give respect to Deanna and I. And it's not about buying them stuff and getting that kind of respect just through gifts. It ultimately is about me respecting them and giving grace to them and to my grandchildren giving grace as well. You know, one of the nuances for us, you know, even there, what does it mean for Deanna and my, my life here as we get older? There's a biblical, if my son was here, my daughter was here, we've talked about this with them, that they understand that there's a biblical mandate on their lives to be helping with Deanna and I. But here's where I think biblically where I have to go. I know someday that Deanna and I will have to move closer to them. My son's in Texas, my daughter's in Sacramento. It will mean that I cannot and will not be able to stay in Minnesota. Why? I need to make it easier for them to be able to take care of me. If I want to... No, I'm going to live in my house. I'm going to stay home. You know, all my friends are here. My town is here. All my security is here. I go, that ultimately is selfish. I'm called to present my kids complete, adult kids complete in Christ. And one of the ways to do that is to respect and honor them and to make it easy for them to fulfill that biblical command. That's the call in my life. I think that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Here's all, and what do we do with this kind of stuff? And I think the beginning thing for us to do is first to look in a mirror and go, where, we're at, where are we at? What's my definition of a good relationship? Am I settling for something that's just mediocre? And then the second thing, maybe most important, I think this, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what we need to do with our children. Maybe it's confessing to them that we're speaking at them all the time. Maybe it's this, is that we're, it's been a control issue all the time. We need to go to them and seek forgiveness and point it out, not just say, I'm sorry, point out the sin to them. 
And then we just need to open up our palms and say, God, would you rebuild? Would would you lead me into repentance? That we would restore something if it's been broken. And just you have to, and some of you, it might mean waiting on God, recognizing it takes, it's a two-way street. But you can do what you, you can do if the relationship is broken. I'm going to ask the elders to come on up. But let me just pray to close here today. We want to serve communion.